I wanna pray and then we're going to Romans 8. So get your Bibles ready because I gotta do like three sermons in one today because this second half of Romans chapter eight is just too much. It's phenomenal. It should be three sermons. We don't have three sermons. So we're about ready to roll. So let's pray. Lord, I pray you to help me to hit the highlights. I pray that the things you want said would come to mind and the things you don't want said would be completely forgotten. Lord, I pray that you'd help the text to speak. Lord, I'm, I'm just a flawed, humble servant. But this text is a really good text. And I know you intended for us to hear it and to think on it and to apply it to our lives. And so would you help us to do that today as we look at what your word says and may we give you the glory, the honor and the praise for everything in Jesus name, amen. All right, Romans chapter eight, get ready to roll. Are you ready? So we ended last week and last week we were Romans chapter eight. We finished in verse 17. Um, We were flying through it too and we got to the end and I said, we'll touch on this next week because it ends in verse 17 by saying this, And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And there's this comma, and you can almost sense in Paul's mind, he's about to change subjects slightly, and he's gonna give us a little foreshadowing of what's coming next. And he says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And after we've just talked about there's no condemnation in Christ, we can have victory in the spirit, set your minds on the things of the spirit, Don't set your mind on the flesh. Put to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit. All this good news. And then we learn, you we can call God Abba, Father. God is our our Father and he loves us and he's forgiven us and we've been adopted into his family. And then he says, provided we suffer with him. And it's kind of like, whoa, time out, Paul. You were doing really well till you got to the suffering part. I don't like the suffering part. What's going on here? And then he's gonna continue in the second half of Romans chapter eight. Here's your main idea. Write this main idea down. In Christ, we have hope that overcomes. So if you're not in Christ, you don't have this hope. I'm not talking to you today. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have this hope. And things are not accidentally cosmically, evolutionarily gonna work out for your good. They're just not. This is not a message for you. But if you are in Christ, then you have hope. And not only do you have hope, you have a hope that overcomes. What does it overcome? Everything, eternally speaking. It doesn't mean everything in life's gonna be easy or it's gonna work out. That's why I mentioned suffering. But friends, we have a hope that lasts far beyond this world. We have a hope that in fact, all three of our points are gonna lay this out. We have the hope of new creation. And so you see that. We have a hope in God's sovereignty. Now, gosh, I wrestled with whether to use God's sovereignty or God's providence. I think sovereignty is what's more in the text than providence. Providence is not a word that's in the text, but God in his sovereign aspect of being able to do whatever he wants has chosen to do what's good for us ultimately in our eternal benefit. And so friends, when we talk about God being sovereign today, this text could be controversial because you're gonna read some of these things and you're gonna start trying to figure out how does this apply in the order of salutis, the order of salvation? How does this fit? Are you Calvinist? Are you not a Calvinist? No, 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 no. That's not what the text is talking about. The text is focused on assurance of a hope that what God began, he's gonna complete. It's assurance of a hope that tells us everything's gonna work out to our good. How do I know it's all gonna work out to the good of those that love the Lord? Because there's a God that knew me and then he predestined me and then he called me and then he justified me and then he glorified me and that's good news for all of us. 
No matter what bad news hits your life today or any other day of your life, and you will have bad news, you got a hope that overcomes because he's in control. Not only is he in control, we have a hope in God's unfailing love, and you can't defeat it. And there's nothing in life that can defeat it, and there's nothing that can separate you from it. So, all right, you've already heard it. You heard Chris Miller talk about in our suffering to look to God. You heard James Hilton talk about how we need to speak truth to ourselves. And so when you feel like I have no hope, that's a lie of the devil. When you feel like you are not loved, that's a lie of the devil. And so we need to take those lies of the devil and get them out of our minds and replace it with the truth of scripture and what God's word says. And so here we go. We gotta dig into it. Point number one, hope in a new creation. Let's look at what it says, Romans chapter Eight verses 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are hard. Is that what he says? I consider that these sufferings of these present times are not fair because somebody else isn't going through it. I consider that the sufferings of these present times make me unhappy. No, Paul writes to us, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation itself waits with eager longing, eager longing, seven times in the entire New Testament, every time focused on Christ's return. There's an eager longing on the king that's coming back. And friends, I'm here to tell you, when he's coming back, it's not as a baby in a manger. It says a king, it says a sovereign king, it's on a white horse and nobody can defeat him. That's your king that's coming back. There's an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, redemption of our bodies. For this is the hope. It's the hope that we were saved. Now it's the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. Friends, there's a new creation coming and that gives us hope. Let's walk through what this text says to us. The present sufferings of this time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Think about the things that are not worth comparing. You have something. You think it's of value and importance. Like, I don't know. When's a little boy? A mud pie. You ever make a mud pie? Oh, it's a good one. Some of you didn't. Y'all are smarter than me. But does it compare to a cookies and cream chocolate milkshake? No. Did you ever have an old gift that you didn't want to let go of, but somebody had a new shiny gift they wanted to give you. Friends, the sufferings of this present world that may last us for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, none of them 
are even worth comparing to what we're gonna have in glory. And here Paul's setting us up to say, life's gonna be hard and there's gonna be suffering. And you may be here today and you may ask the question, why is there suffering in this world? Why is there evil in this world? It's because we sinned. And when we sinned, it says in here that it was subjected, even the creation. But who subjected it? It wasn't Adam. Adam doesn't have the right to subject the whole creation. It's God that subjected that creation to the suffering because God in his mercy looked at Adam and Eve and when they sinned, they didn't need to eat of the tree of life. And so he barred them from the tree of life so that this sinful condition that we experience and that creation experiences is temporary. And one day he's gonna fix it all and he's gonna make it all right so that we don't have to live with all the sin and the suffering and the injustice and the evil. And so if you're wondering why is there evil in the world, it's our fault. There's evil in the world because we're in the world. Ministry is hard because we're sinful human beings. You're gonna have bad things happen in life because there's a bunch of sinful people living on this world. The devil, our sinful nature, the world all pushes us away from God, but God says it's not gonna be that way forever because the creation even waits with eager longing, but what does it wait for? Do we worship the creation? No, the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but by God, because he was punishing Adam. And the reason there are thorns, the reason there are, I don't know, mosquitoes, the reason there are, oh gosh, stink bugs in Ohio. Do y'all, do y'all have stink bugs? Like, is there a worse creature on the planet than a stink bug? Like, you, polka dots? Yeah. If, if you kill a stink bug, you are the one that has to suffer the stink of it. Like the only, you get a, you get a tissue and you, you, you barely grab it and you wad it up and you flush it down the toilet in the name of Jesus because it's evil. <laughs> All of these things are going away, people. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and it will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Friends, we are created in the image of God and you can read through chapter eight and realize that you are loved and that you are special and that you have value and worth and that God is your sovereign God and he created you for a purpose. For we know the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. We won't use a childbirth illustration because most of you haven't had children. It won't make sense. You'll get it later in your churches. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we also groan. We have the first fruits of the spirit. We have the spirit, but we're not where we need to be yet. So we groan inwardly for that final adoption, the already not yet, a final adoption and the redemption of our bodies. So we don't have these earthly bodies with all the things that are wrong with them. We have heavenly bodies. And so friends, when you think the creation is hopeless, there's hope in a new creation. He doesn't stop there. And the news only gets better because there's also hope in a sovereign God. Look, this gives me great comfort. Let me tell you what it says here. In verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. How many of you feel weak from time to time? You may not want to admit it. How many of you feel weak from time to time? You got the spirit to help you. This is good news. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Should I pray for somebody to be delivered from the trial or is the trial what God's gonna use to get them where they need to be? I don't know, but the spirit does. And the spirit's gonna help me pray so that the prayers align with the will of God. For we don't know what to pray as we all. That gives me comfort. Friends, how many times have you been trying to pray and you can't find the words? I'm not alone. Paul says he didn't even know how to pray as he ought to. So if you're like, I don't wanna pray in public. I don't know what to say. Welcome to the crowd. 
We don't know what to say either. But we, we need to cry out to God because he's our father and the spirit knows and the spirit knows our hearts and the spirit knows the sovereign will of God and the spirit's gonna help us in this. And so pray, talk to your heavenly father, your Abba father, talk to your dad and say, dad, I don't know what to say. I don't know how this is gonna play out. I need help and the spirit will help you. The spirit is there. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, now time out. Some people like to say this is a private prayer language. This is not a private prayer language. This is to all people. Even in Corinth, when they were messed up, they were very clear that not everybody had the gift of tongues. This is to all people. The Spirit's gonna help all of us. It's also the Spirit that is interceding and the Spirit that is groaning. It's not us. And so you don't need to have your own private prayer language, whatever that means, because if you're not communicating to anybody, I don't know this language anyway, but you don't even need to worry about that. Because you need to try to think through, how am I gonna articulate with my mind what I need to say to the Lord? And Lord, help me, to, help me to understand through the Spirit what I need to be praying and how I need to be seeing the circumstances. And most of the time, prayer is not gonna change God. Prayer is gonna change us and the way we see things anyway. And so our prayer is how we're focusing our minds on the Lord. And the Spirit, this is good news, comes along to help us. He helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So friends, when you're hurting, and there's nowhere else to go, and there's nobody that can fix it. Where do you go? You go to God. You go to your Father. You go to your Heavenly Father, and you cry out, Dad, Father, I'm messed up. I'm sinful. I'm flawed. I don't know what's happening here, but you do. And the Lord intercedes for us. Here we see it. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And verse 28, which we have to explain carefully. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So let's break this down. We know for those who love God, does that mean if you don't love God enough, it's not gonna work out for your good? No. Those who love God is a way of saying those who are believers, those who are in Christ, those who are saved. So for those who are saved, all things work together for good. Do all things work together? Or is it God who is working all things together? It's God who's doing the work. God is taking all things and he's working them together for good. But it doesn't feel like it. Because sometimes I fail a class and that means I can't major in the major I want to. And that means my entire plan for life is derailed and that makes it hard. Or I got a diagnosis that I have this injury and this injury is gonna cause me to be on crutches for six weeks and have this brace on my leg and that doesn't feel like it's for my good. What this text is saying to us is that there is a God who is so sovereign and loves you so much that he's taking all things and he's working them out, not for your temporary benefit or your immediate pleasure, but for your eternal good. So he's gonna take the worst moments in your life because he's sovereign. And he's gonna use those worst moments in your life and shape your heart away from the things it needs to be away from to the things it needs to be towards for your eternal benefit. Well, I don't like it. I don't either. It's not fun. And it's hard. But it's for your good. But I want what I want and I want it now. We all do because we're selfish and we're sinful. Don't quote this verse and tell people everything in their life's gonna be easy. This is not prosperity theology because then when their world falls apart, they're gonna believe that there is no God. There is a good God. There is a bad world with bad people. And the only good person that ever lived died on a cross for our sins. But that person 
It's gonna work all these things out in your life for good. Now, this next part where it tends to get controversial is explaining to you this. He's gonna work it out for your good. So if he's gonna work it out for my good, look at what the language says. For those who are called, there's a link, according to his purpose. Verse 29, for, he's continuing the argument here. This is all gonna work out for your eternal good. For those whom he foreknew, foreknew in the Old Testament, used of those he knows. It's used of the husband wife relationship. It's used of God calling Israel. He knows them. And so he knows us. He knew us before the world was ever present. You may say, wait a second, I chose Jesus. You may have chosen Jesus, but he chose you first. And that's okay. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That's what Ephesians tells us. He tells us here that you're called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those who he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those he predestined, he called. He called, not in a general call, but in a specific call. He called you in an effectual calling that leads to salvation. He predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. You have been declared righteous in Christ. Christ paid your penalty. The legal declaration is now that you're forgiven. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here's how this provides us hope. Because if I were responsible for my salvation, I could mess it up. But God is the one that secured my salvation. He is the one that is responsible for my salvation and he is the one that sovereignly will bring it to completion. And this is such good news that the word glorified in here is in the past tense. How does that work? Because I'm certainly not glorified yet. I still struggle with sin. I still have weaknesses in the body, but it is so certain that those who are called and predestined and forgiven and justified and alive in Christ, that you can even say in past tense, those people are glorified. If I have been saved, it's so certain in the mind of God that I'm gonna be glorified, that I can declare even right now the already, even though it's the not yet, that I have been in past tense glorified because it's coming. Because there's a God that sits outside of time and he's not in this linear thinking that we're trapped in. And when he sees it, he can see it and he can know me and he can predestine me and he can call me and he can save me and he can glorify me. So friends, have you ever wondered, am I good enough to be saved? No, you're not. But you don't have to be. Because it's not about how good you are, it's about how great he is. Yeah, you know, I'm struggling with sin and I don't think I'm really a genuine believer because I keep messing up. Can I do this? No, you can't. Because you have a sinful nature. And even though you're saved, you're wrestling with that flesh and you're in the I, me, and the my of Romans 7, who will rescue me from this body of death? Oh, but there's the spirit and you can live in the power of the spirit and you have a hope because there's a sovereign God who's working all things out for your good. And friends, if he's called you, if he's justified you, he has glorified you and it will happen one day. Am I loved? Oh yeah. Am I saved? Oh. You know, if you're even asking the question, are you saved? That's probably a good indicator that you're saved because you're worried about it. All right, I gotta go. We gotta roll because we're gonna sing two songs after I'm done. All right, we have hope in God's unfailing love. All right, are y'all, can, can you talk to me today? Can you be a little vocal? What then shall we say to these things? So answer this question. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
All right, let's do it again because I'm not sure you got it. If God is for us, who can be against us? Really? So does it feel like nobody? Or does it feel like there's a whole bunch of people against us? One more time. If God is for us, who can be against us? All right, so let me, I like that. That was good, thank you. Um, Let me break this down for you like he does. It's an argument here. So if God is for us and he did not spare his own son, the greatest gift, but he gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give us the most precious gift that he could possibly have, will he not give us all things? If I am willing to give my son a really expensive gift, will I not let him have a Dr. Pepper? Yeah, I will. You can have a Dr. Pepper today. Yeah, you can have a Dr. Pepper today. You already have a Dr. Pepper today? Okay, you can have another one. It's fine, I don't care. I'm gonna be busy all day. You can have three. I don't care. Um, Joy's saying no. Your mom vetoed that. That doesn't work. If I'm gonna give him good gifts, I'll give him the trivial stuff. I mean, seriously, folks, think about this. So the questions continue here. This is rhetorical. He gets really excited about this. Okay, here we go. Next question, 33. Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? Nobody. Who can? Oh, the devil's gonna bring charges. But who died in our place? Jesus. Who rose from the grave? Jesus. Who conquered death? Jesus. Who conquered the devil? Jesus. Who did all these things? Jesus. Who's gonna judge us? Jesus. Who's gonna charge us? Nobody. Because they did this wrong. I paid for that. They did this wrong. I paid for that. They are gonna do this wrong. Already paid for that. It's already taken care of. There is nothing that they can charge us with because who's condemned? Christ Jesus is the one that died and more than that, he was raised and he's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Is God gonna punish us for this? Nope, already paid for that. I did something bad. God's gonna get me. Nope, Jesus already paid for that. Well, I'm gonna do like 20 things bad because I'm that dumb. Jesus paid for all of them too. You can't be depressed or frustrated or down or discouraged if you listen to what the text is saying to you. Nobody can make an accusation against you. It's God who justifies. Nobody's gonna condemn you. And then in verse 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Catch this word. I don't know why this is here, but it caught my attention. Who? But all of the list seems like a what? Who's gonna separate you from the love of Christ? How many of you have ever felt unloved or unlovable? Raise your hand. Be honest, God's watching. He died for that sin too, but it's still a sin. We all have unloved or unlovable. And the text tells us here, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Look at all the what's. So maybe it's the devil behind this, I'm not sure. So tribulation, or distress, or finals, oh, that's not in there, sorry, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then he's gonna quote Psalms here. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We 
are dumb sheep. Thank you, Lord, that I am a dumb sheep because the expectation is not really high. And thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who's given us your spirit to deliver us from our own stupidity. We're being led to the slaughter. I don't like that. But everything's working out for our good eternally. Verse 37, here you go. This is your coffee mug. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now what does this mean? More than a conqueror on your black eyeliner for your football team. I don't, I don't think football's what he's talking about here. I think what he's talking about is all things are gonna work out to the good for your eternal good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so what this tells me is it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life because I'm gonna be more than a conqueror in the next life. I'm not promising you an easy life without suffering and without trials. I'm promising you there's a good God that's gonna overcome it all. Look at verse 38. For I am sure. Okay, wait a second. Are you sure? Are you sure that there's a God that loves you? Are you sure that there's a God that will overcome? Because here Paul writes, I am sure. So Paul may be more sure of God's love for you than you are. Paul may be more sure of your future good than you are. Because Paul's writing here and he's saying, I'm sure that neither death nor life, that neither angels, wait, why angels? I thought angels were the good guys. I don't know. No angels or rulers or demons or things present or things to come or powers, no government, no Republican party, no Democrat party, no independent party, no communism, no socialism, no court, no Supreme Court, no people who are pro this or pro that or have a different worldview from us. Nobody is gonna be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. The love of God is gonna be there for us, friends. You're loved. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's your hope? There's hope in a new creation. There's hope in a sovereign God that can make it all happen for your good. And there's hope in God's unfailing love. So when you feel like nobody loves me, it's a lie of the devil that is to be replaced with the truth of Romans chapter eight. So here's your application. I skipped a whole bunch of stuff. It doesn't matter. Here's your application. Eternal perspective. When we have suffering in this life, we have an eternal perspective and realize we're not living for this life. We are pilgrims passing through this life. There is a glory that awaits us and we focus on the future glory. So friends, we have a hope that overcomes. There's nothing that happens to you in this life that God's not gonna fix. I think it's been said, there's nothing that happens to you in this life that a good resurrection won't take care of. It's gonna fix it all. So whatever happens, it's not your eternal mess to deal with. God's gonna fix it. Okay, answer these questions for me. Is God sovereign? That's the right answer, good job. Is God good? Is God for us? Are you sure? then trust that all things will work out for your eternal good. They will. He may have to teach you some hard lessons in the process. 
but they will work out for your eternal good. Is God sovereign? Yeah. Who's responsible for your salvation? You or God? Okay. Then you have eternal security because he doesn't make mistakes and he's not gonna mess it up. If you are genuinely saved, if you have genuinely repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then he has justified you, he has adopted you, he has forgiven you. You are alive in Christ Jesus and you are glorified as surely as when the day happens that it comes. Is God for us? Yeah. Is God good? Yeah. Is God love? Yeah. Then in all circumstances of this temporary life, we are more than conquerors. We have hope that overcomes. Friends, I want you to know you are loved. You're loved by us, but more importantly, you're loved by God. All right, come on out. They're gonna come out. We're gonna sing. They're gonna pray. I'm gonna hobble my way off. Hopefully next time I'm up here, I won't have crutches at all, but no matter what happens, I'm loved. And God's gonna use even this for my good and his glory.